Hello and welcome to MapBytes episode 103. I'm Mike Thomas and I'm here with my co-host Elaine Giles. And in this episode, Subversive Subscriptions, Motorway Madness and Team Trafford Triumph. Team Trafford Triumph. Shocking, I know. Before all that, though, where were we at the end of the last show? You've not forgotten! The extension that quickly, surely? Oh, yes. Yes. They finally left at 4pm on Christmas Eve. And you've been in therapy ever since? Pretty much. Let's just say it made the two-hour root canal feel relaxing. But it's done. Picks to follow. So, apart from the root canal, what exactly have you been up to? I think what affected me most in our slight absence, little holiday, was the fact that my iPhone died. That's pretty serious, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Well, I'll torment myself and go over it again for the benefit of the MacBiters. Um, It was February and Lent was approaching. There was much talk of what deprivations we were contemplating subjecting ourselves to this year. I swore off that back in the mid-90s. Do you remember when I rather foolishly decided to give up sweets and chocolate? I remember it well. Mm. For the record, I kept my promise, survived the ordeal and pledged never again. So imagine my abject horror when an abstinence of horrific magnitude was foisted upon me. A week without my iPhone. Um, It died. It's an iPhone 6 Plus and... I went to bed. It was quite happy, fully charged. And when I woke up, screen was on. Middle of it was white. Edges of it were black. So think vignette. And there was no reviving it. Completely no reviving it. Intermittently, I got this sad looking faded Apple logo, but it was completely unresponsive. It wouldn't even turn off. I think we've had that before with something. I can't remember what, though. Oh, it was the iPod, wasn't it? iPod 1. Remember, we had to wrap it in, in three pillows to get some sleep. Can I just say something? If you must. That picture reminds me of something. Go on. <laughs> a white magnum. Ooh, you're not wrong. I have to put it in the show notes now. <laughs> yes, anyway, it was dead, uh, but wouldn't turn off. I was hopeful if I could get it. You know that thing where if you let it drain? Yeah. It thinks better of its demise and comes back to life. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't. Uh, so, do you remember when I... I took my iMac in and it, it was a sad, sorry tale. Yes. Yeah. The first iMac I took in, great experience, but it was all downhill for Team Trafford after that. So I, more in hope than expectation, logged on to the Genius Bar thing for an appointment. The first free appointment for iPhone repairs was Tuesday of the following week. Eight days. Eight days wait. You know what? what's coming next, don't you? Go on. The only alternative... Russian roulette, the walk-in lottery. I'd done that before. Took the best part of about four hours. But I had no option. So uh, I arrived at the Trafford Centre just before 9.30. They open at 10. And I thought, well, 9.30, you know, give them a chance to actually get the outside doors open. Rest of the place as the grave. Apple Store. Queue already extending outwards from the store in several different directions. Inside, you'd have loved this. It was such a shame you weren't there. They were having the usual morning rah-rah session. It was in full swing. I seemed to be the only one within Wi-Fi range who didn't have a functional iOS device as well. Literally everybody else in the queue was tweeting, Facebooking or whatever. But that's why you were there. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I know. But 
Well, I was hopeful if everybody else's devices weren't broken, that I might just be able to, you know, sneak in there. Yeah, that that ended well, not. They didn't come out what I thought was early enough, to be honest. Uh, it was literally just a couple of minutes before 10. And they tried then to organise the queue, which by this stage, 60 to 70 people and growing fast. Um, they said repairs on one side, purchases on the other. You're hoping for a 50-50 split. Oh, no. There was about five looking to make a new purchase and about 70 in the repairs queue. Still, I only had four others in front of me, so I was hopeful. Uh, got inside. I gave them my name. That's usually when it goes downhill, isn't it? It is, yeah. Mm, not this time. To my amazement, I gave them my name, brief description of the fact it was dead, and I was taken straight through to a member of the Genius Bar staff who, virtually without even looking at it, just authorised an immediate replacement. I know, I was amazed too. The entire process, from walking in the store to leaving with the replacement iPhone, 20 minutes. Mm. Now, obviously, restoring from the backup, getting the phone back to work, feeling like mine, the rest of the day. But hey, at least I was home, feet up. The strutting of its stuff, mm, hours and hours and hours. Lessons to be learnt. Well, I was glad I'd had the foresight to purchase the Apple Care with the phone. Have you noticed how many people say the European regulations should be enough? Mm, yeah. And I know they should. I probably shouldn't mention Europe, should I, actually? I know they should, but I just don't have the time to argue. I mean, it's stressful enough you're trying to cope without a phone. And I think I said to you, well, it's no great loss because no one ever rings me anyway. And that was, of course, the week where I got about five phone calls and three texts from various people. And I said to you, didn't I? No one's got my number. It won't happen. And then I realised two other people did, and that was the week they needed me. Ah, but apart from that... um. Wasn't too much in terms of, of any loss. I'd got backups. I was very glad that I'd got backups. And I actually noticed most of my data is in cloud services. I'm sure yours is as well. The only thing was the photos on, on the device, and they're backed up to the cloud somewhere as well, the automatic thing. And one other app, which is iTalk. You still use that? I do. iTalk Premium's the one I've got, and um, I use it to record all kinds of things. What I'm doing now is, as soon as I come back in with a recording, I back it up straight away. When was the last time everybody else backed up all their devices? Or do you just trust the thing to do it automatically? A long time ago. Mine is set up to back up. You know when you plug it in, back up over Wi-Fi? Mm. But do you actually check it? No. No. I've taken to plugging it in, or at least sitting within distance of the Mac and watching it back up to make sure. But do you actually check the backups even if you make them? Because I know I don't. No. There's a scary thought to leave you with. How nice. A feel-good Apple Care story. I know. It can only go downhill from here. And you didn't stop at just destroying an iPhone either, did you? No. The great iOS 9.3.2 update didn't go well. Error 56. It should have been fine, apparently. The... Massive air quotes isolated issues that Apple finally admitted to in the end were only supposed to affect iPad Pros. So I decided to leave my iPad Pros alone. I started with iPad 2 and the venerable iPad Cyril. It bricked the pair of them. And I mean seriously bricked the pair of them. There was no reviving them. You know the hold it down for X number of seconds and stand on your left leg while whistling dandy? Yes. That thing. Tried that. Didn't, didn't want to know. 
So I had to leave them to go flat um, and then coax them back to life with a full DFU update, a device firmware upgrade. So about seven hours after doing a simple and recommended Amitad system update, I was almost back to where I started. But I did decide I was going to take the option not to restore them. So I set them up as new devices. And that was the point, needless to say, I decided not to even bother attempting to update the iPhone 6, the iPod Touch, the iPod Air 2, the iPad Pro and the baby iPad Pro. Left them alone. I still haven't done it. In fact, I actually got the message popping up just before we started um, recording. You know that one that says, do you want to update? And you, you tap later and then it says, do you want to do it tonight? And you say no. And somebody um, on Facebook, one of my friends, took a screenshot of that and posted it and said, um, how many of you have been tapping later for the last two months? And a load, load of people replied and said yes. Yes, I'm intimately acquainted with that. It was, it was mithering me virtually all day, every day as well. I did finally risk it. But seriously, what are Apple thinking? The initial thing came out about the 13th of May. It took them a whole week to pull it. I can only imagine how many iPads got bricked during that time. Um, so once they pulled it, I thought, well, it'll only be a day or so. And like you're saying, you, you got that message repeatedly that was driving me mad. I know Kevin tweeted a while back um, he didn't want to do the last update and it was getting on his nerves. He wasn't kidding. Oh, literally twice a day, driving me insane. And have you noticed on an iPad, the do it later is very, very close to the zero. Can't say I have. The zero option where you tap for zero was bordering on being over the top of the later thing. So, you know, if you inadvertently tap that, you've tapped in the wrong place. It took them two weeks to release a new version. And this is the second time this year this has happened. That was the point I decided I'd give it a go. <laughs> Luckily, I did have an iPad Air 2 to play with rather than, you know, an iPad Pro. I figured if it worked on that, it was pointing that it might be worth trying it. But um, because I knew they'd been the farce with it, I studiously read the support documents and it was scary. Too long didn't read version. Beware an error referred to as unknown error number nine. Can I just point out if it's got a number... It's not unknown. Searching for unknown error number nine. Good luck with that. Found Mambo number five. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Mambo number five. When I actually program, you know, in Excel or whatever, there are plenty of known errors. And what you do, if you're a decent programmer... <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> meow! There, there's the cat comment. Yeah, yes, definitely. Um, is right. Um, what's it? Routines to catch them. If error number is one, do this. If error number is two, do this. Or um, write some something to catch all the errors. You know, if you don't want to list every single error, but like you say, if it's got a number, it's, it it can't be unknown. My point exactly. I mean, years ago programmers wrote programs for technical people to use but now i won't say it's dumbed down but just generally the population using computers is much broader and to get an error that it is a number you have to go away and look that number up anyway if that number's unique so do you remember microsoft used to have q numbers yeah and you could look up the q number but it was a q number that was like q 
973, and it went on and it was unique. You know, unknown error number nine. Yeah, not great. You know, if you're trying to look at what is error number nine, it could be anything because it could belong to anything. It would be nice. I mean, they're saying it's unknown, which doesn't help matters at all. But if they did know what it was and it's error number nine, just something giving you some idea of what to do would be helpful instead of leaving you high and dry for two weeks. But as you said, decent programmers, we'll just leave that hanging there. Anyway, that wasn't the only debacle this week, was it? No. Unless you've been living under a rock this week, you'll doubtless have heard the cries of anguish over SketchUp's decision to change its licensing model. You'll notice there I did not say it moved to a subscription model. Subscription is a dirty word after Adobe's move there and the text expander farce in April this year. So let's start by saying this. Software developers have to make money. They have a right to be paid for what they produce just like anyone else. If they can't make a living, then they can't make the software that you love. What people are complaining about here is the half a story that they spat out that was lacking, wait for it, the most critical information, price. But let's start at the beginning for those of you who just might still be living in blissful ignorance of Sketch. SketchUp is a vector drawing program. Um, the feature set has developed in such a way it really appeals to UI and UX professionals. It was first released in 2010. And I think it was only, well, no, I think the first one was available direct from the developer and via the Mac App Store. When version two came out, the features that they added, again, just confirmed its position as the favourite of UI designers. And I seem to remember they pushed people towards the Mac App Store version because although it turned out you could buy it direct from them, it wasn't obvious from the site. I mean, I'm sure you've seen that with other developers. They kind of hide the store. Yeah. Seriously hide the store um, and just link to the Mac App Store. So that was version two. When version three came out, that was April 2014, it was again available via the Mac App Store, but more obviously available direct again. Now, that version, version three, is still the latest release, but obviously there have been point updates since that initial launch date. We're up to 3.8.3 uh, as of today. And as a Mac App Store app, you had all the benefits and annoyances of the Mac App Store. So multiple installs, good. No license key to lose, great. And the joy, or not, of long, long review times. Now, need to address pricing of this app. Um, I call it insidious creep. I'm sure I got version one for around $17.99, and that's in pounds. When version two came out, I bought it via the App Store. And it was $27.99. And I know that for sure because I dug out the receipt. It was June 2012 and it was $27.99. It actually was on half price, as they tend to do, to give you an opportunity to upgrade. Or at least you know, buy the new one at an upgrade price. And it settled around the $42.99 mark. At some point between the, then and 2014, it went up to $79.00. And then in 2014, it went from $79 to $99. So it was going upwards, wasn't it? It was. Now, Sketch left the Mac App Store on the 1st of December 2015. They wrote um, a post explaining their reasons. And they transferred the licenses to direct licenses. So you had to install a certain version of the software, which found the license deep in your system which then 
pinged Bohemian Code, who make it, and they sent you back a direct license in your email, which was, wait for it, activated and limited to two machines. Now, in the Mac App Store, it varies, doesn't it? Apple said unlimited and then they've said five, but it depends on what you read, but somewhere between five and unlimited. Sketch were questioned about this and it was clarified it's two installs. Didn't actually say two activated installs, but looking at it, you're certainly going to need their help when it comes to switching machines. Now, they need to get with the program in terms of letting me work where I want to work, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, even Adobe have finally grasped that concept. You can activate and deactivate Creative Cloud apps at will. Do you remember years ago in design, you could activate and deactivate, or, you know, at least put the serial number in and out. And there was a maximum of 20 times. Was it 20? I thought it was 15, but whatever. 15, 20, I'm sure it was 20. But you didn't. they didn't tell you this. So obviously you're setting up machines in training companies and you're okay for the first 20. And at the end of the training session, you're wiping the machine. And when you reach 20, they all went mad. Um, So even Adobe are aware that you need the ability to activate and deactivate. And they do that via your Adobe ID. Even Microsoft have grasped that. You get five installs with your Office 365 subscription um, on all the apps on any platform. Now, when it comes to Sketch, I've got a main Mac, which is the one that I work on 90% of the time. I've got a MacBook Air. So let's say for some strange reason, I've decided to decamp to the garden. Not happening, but you never know. Then I would use it on my MacBook Air. I've also got a Mac in the studio where I record my tutorials. And that's a dedicated Mac that just sits in there doing tutorial work. Am I expected to choose where not to work? Now, I guess their answer would be, well, buy another license. And my answer would be, why should I? There's only me using it and I'm only ever using it on one Mac at a time. Just that practical issues mean it happens to be on different Macs. We'll be going back to dongles at this rate. There's probably MacBiters too young to remember dongles. Oh, dongles. Dongles were dedicated hardware devices used to unlock apps. Think a pen drive, but usually larger. They had a very strange interface as well, didn't they? Usually bigger than a a parallel port. Yeah. Now, without that plugged in to the device you're trying to use it on, the app wouldn't work. But at least you could carry it around with you and you could use it on any device you wanted. Even that is more flexible than this. Anyway, where are we now? Well, in April 2016, that $99 for a new license just jumped to 129 No warning. Just one day, it was 129 That's a 30% increase overnight. People commented about it and there was nothing official from them. And then it jumped back to 99 So if you bought it 129 you're not going to be happy. So let's roll back to yesterday. And there was a bombshell of an entirely new pricing model, subscription by Stealth. Now, it's only just over six months from the exit from the Mac App Store. They write a blog post about their future plans, banging on about fairness. I'll put a link to the whole thing, not reading it out. Because you know what happened next. I've got a good idea. The internet exploded with outrage. 
Now, the plan, I'll summarise it for you. The plan is to charge an annual fee for access to updates. $99 was mentioned, which is currently the full price of a new licence. And if that price is right, then you're doubling the cost of ownership based on a release cycle of two years. Is that a subscription? It certainly sounds like it to me. Apparently not. The distinction in their mind is that the app doesn't stop working. You just don't get any more updates. Is that difference too subtle? Yes. Well, obviously, they're trying to distance themselves from Adobe, whose apps do stop working when your subscription lapses. Now, while the app will continue to work, I have to ask for how long without paying the annual fee? Because they've got a history of changing the file format to support extra features that they add. So if you have a person working on a new version and somebody else who chooses not to go down the annual fee route sticks with an older version, they're just not going to be able to open the files. That really upsets the Apple cart when it comes to collaborative working. But there's also the fact of OS updates breaking stuff. (laughs) Alarming though that sounds, it happens far too frequently for my liking. So I think at that point you would have to choose either not to update or, or pay the fee. So I think that is a false argument and actually insulting to users to roll it out yet again. We've heard it all before. We didn't believe it last time. We're certainly not believing it this time. Now, needless to say, reaction from some users was such that Bohemian Coding were forced to update that initial blog post with an FAQ. They didn't bother answering the most pressing questions, of course. I think they should have anticipated that reaction and diffused it beforehand with a comprehensive FAQ. It's actually as if they barge in working on the principle that any publicity is good publicity. Trust me, it isn't. In fact, it's a grand ploy, isn't it? Go barging in, get publicity. Create FAQs to appear like you're listening. Write sycophantic apology. Mitigate the impact slightly and end up where they intended to be in the first place, with much goodwill intact. It's all sounding deja vu, isn't it, after the text expander fiasco? Mm, identical. The important thing here is, though, they're not actually adding anything extra today. Text Expander were offering a cloud-based sync service and snippet sharing. Creative Cloud, when they went from Creative Suite to Creative Cloud, it was with access to the entire range of Creative Suite apps. It included cloud storage, there was sync of your settings across the apps, there was portfolio hosting and access to Typekit. You can still install it as many times as you like and just activate it when required. So if you think about my situation, I've got it installed on all my machines, but only two were ever activated at the same time. So as you, and even if you activate on a new machine, it deactivates on an older machine automatically. That is great. You don't need access to that older install. Your Mac could have died and you wouldn't have access to it. Also, the software that they're providing, it's cross-platform and you don't need to uninstall it before you can use it on another machine, which is a time-consuming pain. Uh, As I've said, Microsoft introduced Office 365. There is an annual charge, but it included the entire suite of software, terabyte of cloud storage, 60 minutes of Skype, and importantly, a mechanism to manage the installs and the activations. And again, it's cross-platform. And again, no need to uninstall, just activate on another device, it deactivates one of your others. In fact, they've gone a little bit further in that all the benefits that you get, and I do mean all of them, the software, the storage space, the Skype minutes, you can share them with up to five users. It's amazing. It it is such good value, that. Now, with Sketch, 
they're offering nothing. There's no new version out. There's no detailed roadmap. Just a self-destruction timer they have now added to your existing license. What I thought was even worse was they didn't bother to send a mail to registered users informing them of the change yet. I still haven't had one. Not everyone has their finger on the pulse of social media, so there'll be some users blissfully moving along, possibly even buying the thing and having no idea of that. And the key point is there's no opt-out. They have transferred all the licenses out of the Mac App Store and they have the power to expire licenses at will. Now, ultimately, if you don't feel you use it enough to warrant paying whatever the annual cost ends up being, then don't use it. And it won't be worth it for many users, but it's your choice. You've got to vote with your feet. So the big question is, will you pay up? Probably because it's critical to several workflows that I've got going on. I process about 35 images for each video that I make, you know, posters of various sizes and other assets. I've tried it with Affinity Designer, which is an awesome app. And unfortunately, it just doesn't have the same export options. Some of the work I do in sketches for clients, and of course, the faster I can get that done, the more work I can do. And I do understand for many users, it's just going to prove to be too expensive. But everyone's experience is going to vary. What you're prepared to pay for, I might not be, and vice versa. I mean, I would never pay what I know some people do on a monthly basis for Sky TV or Netflix. I just don't watch TV that much. We've got friends who've told us that they pay over £100 a month for TV. I find that ludicrous. But hey, if watching TV floats your boat, great. It's going to depend on the value to you personally, hasn't it? Absolutely. I think it's actually quite sad that this is only going to get more prevalent because there's news today that Apple are adding the ability to offer subscriptions to apps within the Mac App Store. Oh, we've got that to look forward to then. I mean, for some apps, it makes sense, especially where there's a service involved. But this seems sort of they've changed it without actually adding anything to it. I think the, the bubble's going to burst and there's going to need to be a complete re-evaluation regarding price and value when it comes to software. As I say, I'll subscribe whatever they call it, but, and this is a huge but, I will be keeping my eye on the competition. I moved to Sketch in 2012. I can just as easily move to something else if it proves its worth. And there are alternatives for what Sketch is fabulous at. If you've got a Creative Cloud subscription, you could take a look at Adobe XD, which is Adobe Experience Design CC. That is actually a replacement for the awesome Fireworks. Now, Fireworks used to I used to process my graphics in Fireworks. I had this massive script. It was about 4,000 lines, but it did it. Um, and unfortunately, they stopped supporting it. If you're desperate, there's always Illustrator. Great, powerful app, but I must admit, I spend most of my time fighting with the interface. Hopefully, there is Affinity Designer, which is a fantastic app. Don't be put off by my experience. I have weird requirements. I'm glad you said that, not me. Mm, true. And Affinity Designer 1.5 is on the way in a couple of months with some completely awesome features for UI and UX designers. There is a video out there. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, one of the programmers demonstrating these features and it just looks amazing. It's probably worth my while me contacting them and, and questioning them about this export malarkey. If there's a way around it, then I could definitely use Affinity instead. And I'm already using Affinity Photo, so I'd rather do that, to be honest. But... Anyway, what do you guys think? Let us know. Will you subscribe? Or if you're already using it, will you stop using it? One of the comments I saw, which kind of set the tone for quite a few of them, 
um, was a guy called Jason Brooks on Reddit. No, I, I, don't, I don't read Reddit. I found it via Google. No idea how Reddit works. Have you? No. <laughs> no. Anyway, I found this on there. He said, this is a really bad move by Sketch in the two years of updates, most of which have been bug fixes that have introduced more bugs. Incompatibility issues and the corruption of Sketch designs. You've come off the Mac App Store because of the bad reviews, leaving frustrated users with little to no voice. Customer support is poor and continues to be bad, and the price increased to $99 with little or no new features that shouldn't already have been there in the version 3 release. Subscription models have to compete with Adobe for $9 a month. For that $9 a month, I get mature software, so Sketch would have to be very competitive on pricing, and its quality and testing has to improve before each release. For those looking for an alternative to Sketch, take a look at Affinity Designer. It's available for Mac and soon to be Windows, and version 1.5 will leave Sketch standing. Which kind of summed up where I was at, I think. Must admit, though, there were other people in there who clearly live in the thing and adore it, who were posting um, memes that said, take my money. So, as I say, everybody's value will differ. I'll put a link to um, the original post on Facebook in the show notes. And I thought some of the comments from the developers were a little harsh. I'll give them some leeway as English isn't their first language, but even so, they were a little harsh. I would much rather be getting excited about new features than spending time discussing pricing models. Just make the best software and I'll buy it. I seem to recall saying, one of my moments, that I'd happily pay premium prices for premium software. I think the example I gave was Scrivener on iOS, for example. And I would. I'd much rather give them, what's the right word for this? The value of the software. A value that they can afford to live and support it on and continue to develop it, and I'm happy to pay. And that, for Scrivener, isn't 79 pence. It is much more valuable to me than that. And I hope that when it comes out, they do reflect that in the price. Because ultimately, with all these developers, it's their playground. And all you can do is to choose whether you stay and play or walk away. Now, in better news, one of your favourite toys was updated last week. So how about a review? Oh, ScreenFlow, my precious. Oh, 1st of June. Bit of a surprise as well. They kept that one quiet, didn't they? They did. Now, despite a love-hate relationship with updates breaking stuff, it is still my go-to app for screen recording. Although every time there's a major update, it does tend to break, doesn't it? Yes. Not this time, we'll be glad to hear. I have managed to crash it, obviously, multiple times. But not, not like version 2, 3, 4 and 5, which were unusable for about two months, each one of them. No, this one's more, more, more sturdy than those proved to be. Now, in terms of what features it actually has that makes it my go-to recorder, um, I like the fact that you record first and then configure later. I remember using older apps where you had to make the decision at the point you recorded what output format you wanted. That's not good because you're only going to get one output format. So if you want a sort of really good high quality one and a less, you know, a more internet friendly version, you're going to have to crunch down the good one. So I think the record first configure later is really flexible, gives you multiple outputs. It's usually reliable unless there's a version with a bug in it, in which case we all have to roll back. It's got a built in editor and not all screen recording apps do. Some have got primitive ones. Some don't have any at all. Um, it used to have fantastic multiple outputs, but to be honest, Apple pulled some of them. 
Um, that happened with version five, which meant I had to completely reevaluate my workflow, but I managed to sort it out. Um, and the speed of it, I have exported exactly the same recordings from Camtasia and oh, Screen Flick and Screenium, and you can be there all day. Whereas Screenflow can, can export say an hour to an hour and a half in about 10 minutes at really good quality. So love the speed as well. Compared to my very first experience of recording a screen on a Mac, which was Ambrosia Snaps Pro X. Remember that? I remember that. Mm. Yes, the nightmare of the cursor trails from hell. That's my abiding memory of using it. It's actually still around. But for me, that negative experience meant I never ventured back to it to give it another try, to be honest. The new features they've added as I read it, most of them, it's an impressively long list, but most of them I thought, never going to use that. However, it's sometimes the tiny incremental tweaks that make the biggest positive impact on your productivity. And a case in point is the easily overlooked changes in the canvas settings. You could, have, you could probably miss these. I always record my entire screen and often not in the final resolution I intend to output. So I often resize the canvas to handle that. Until now, I had to go in to manually do it and input the actual pixel resolution that I want. So 1280 by 720 or whatever I need. Now, it's not arduous. It takes a few seconds. But the addition of presets in ScreenFlow 6 means that I can save those precious seconds. And the number of videos that I edit repeatedly in a day's editing, multiply that by the number of videos I make in a year. And I think that's a really good time saver. So let's vote on the usefulness of the new features. So one of them, which apparently was the number one request, was partial screen capture. Now, in case you don't know what that is, it means that you just capture part of a screen rather than the entire thing and edit it later. I am never, ever, ever, ever on pain of death going to use that. Are you? Probably not. The reason being, I understand for a lot of people, they struggle to get the right pixel dimensions, particularly if they've got like, um, I've got a 13 inch MacBook Pro and its native resolution, I think is 1610, not 169. So they would have to choose which bit of the screen to knock off the recording. What they could do is sort of squish it up a bit, but then it doesn't look right. Now, what I've done with my 13 inch MacBook Pro is just set the screen to 1280 by 720 if I want to record something. It's simple. And then it's 16.9. Then I record the full screen. Because if I don't record the full screen, you know what will happen, don't you? No. The dialogue box that I want to see will be on another monitor or out of the recording area. And something that I don't want will alarmingly pop up where I don't want to see it. So I just record the entire thing and worry about it later. I can understand it being a request if people don't actually know how the software works. But that's where we're at with that one. So a no from me and a no from you. We need some sound effects here, like the X Factor. You're off. Uh, next one, you're going to love this. Animated GIF support. No. No, no, I thought that. What it's intended for, I might be able to, to persuade you here that it's a good idea. You never know. You know, when you send when you're on Twitter and you want to demonstrate something, you could send it as an animated GIF. So obviously not for a 20 minute tutorial, but for just saying click button one and then type in this and click button two. Yeah, you could send it as an animated GIF. So if somebody can't see a video, in fact, it would take you much longer to make a video, wouldn't it? All the niceties and stuff. Then you could do that. The other thing that they seem to be used for drives me mad. Have you noticed the number of animated GIFs that are appearing in email? Um, no, can't say I have. Oh, I have. 
both in terms of, you know, little things like showing you where to click and also more more advertisey based things, you know, so not particularly tutorially based, just movement in emails drives me mad. But video won't play in an email, but an animated GIF will. So I'm not going to use it. You're not going to use it, but it's there. I wasn't overly, well, I wasn't overly whelmed with that. I'll put it like that. Right, next one. Video animation effects. Probably not. Well, maybe. What they are is, um, I do all this in Keynote, to be honest. They enable you to choose an element on your canvas, so a piece of video or a graphic, and manipulate it in a kind of motion come after effects kind of way. There's only three options, but they do work pretty well. So I've done a, a blog post about this and um, I've done some sample videos. So I'll put links up to those. They do work very well, but because there's only three of them, I think people are going to go mad. You're going to see the same effects in multiple videos. Only use animation when you absolutely need it. And you could have done all of that manually. It's just that they've made it easier. So it's a no from me. Mm, it's probably a no from me. Oh, they're not doing very well so far, are they? Right, where are we up to now? Multiple, no, uh, multi-channel audio mixer support. No, because I don't know what it is. So I'll say no. <laughs> no from me, because I have audio hijack and loopback. Everything happens virtually. Not interested. Oh, down with that one. A redesigned waveform. No. No, I wasn't thrilled either. iOS audio monitoring. Now, to clarify what that is. Um, you can record your iOS device. This allows you to monitor its audio. Um, maybe, but probably not. Yeah, unlikely. That's what I thought. Well, let's give it a maybe, because at this rate, we're not doing very well. Extract audio channels. Yeah, probably would. I thought it could do that already. Um, you can certainly unattach an audio and put it in its own track. Yeah, which Camtasia can do as well. Yeah, and you can export it as audio. Yeah. Not quite sure what that adds to what it could already do unless they've made it easier. Maybe this is a different way to do what it already could do. Yeah, this is my problem with software. That's what I find with most updates. could already do that in the first place. Right, you're going to love this one. <laughs> yeah, I, I, was, I, I thought they should have been ashamed for putting this one in. A redesigned countdown overlay. No. Well, when you, well, when you, when you, when you say would well, you use that, what well, you've got to, haven't you? Mm. <laughs> yes, the countdown overlay. Once you hit record, you get this countdown on the screen. And, you know, there's a lot of screen recording apps. They all do it slightly differently. What ScreenFlow does is give you a countdown that you can set. I think the maximum is 10 seconds and the minimum is two or three. I have mine set to three. So what happens is the screen darkens and this overlay comes in the middle of it. And what they've changed with it is instead of it just counting down to, to the recording it actually now shows you what you're recording so it will say screen one screen two screen three uh, your webcam what audio devices you're recording etc i mean to me you've already set that you set it not it you know it's not random you set it it's just giving you a, re a reminder and yeah, i won't have forgotten in the last one second well you'll you'll be using it so you'll have to say yes for that one oh <laughs> I'm not happy with that. Anyway, I'll I'll spoil this one. I'll I'll do I'll do a U. Oh, this is good. Replace clip. What's do a U? Spoil the review. Give a punchline. Oh, do a me. <laughs> yes. Right. Replace <laughs> clip means on the timeline you have a clip, and you would like to replace that clip with another clip. Now, what you used to have to do was delete the first clip and then drag in the new clip, and of course the new clip might have been longer or shorter than the clip you had. 
I do that a lot with graphics. So things like watermarks and posters, you know, poster frames for a video. That will save me time. Love that. They've actually added something that I like. Approve of that one. Replace clip. Yeah, I'll I'll use that. I I had to replace uh, part of a video last month, and it was it was bang on the same time. That was just coincidence. But like you say, because you then I could just you know chop the bit out that I didn't want and drop the new one in. But like you say, chances are that minimal. For me, like I say, it would be less video to be honest, because I think you you would need to manually queue up the beginning and end of a video. But for stills where you've got like, I have like, um, well, it's not a template that will come onto that. Um, I have a file that I open up a copy of it and I edit that and I have placeholders in it. So I know that I want a, a recap at the end and I know how long it is, but I need to replace the graphic with the graphic for this particular video. Mm. That will save me a ton of time. Love that. Love that. Right. Brace yourself. We're back to the rough stuff now. New motion curves. Oh. Don't know what they are, wouldn't use them. <laughs> They're the thing that determine um, the style of how motion works on the in and the out. So does it like go quite fast and then slow down? Does it go quite slowly and then speed up? It's that kind of thing. It's called a curve. Yeah, I'm not going to be using that. No, not good. UI improvements. Well, that could be anything, couldn't it? I'm taking it to mean the three little buttons they've added at the bottom right of the screen. Wow. I'm going to like that. I'm saying that's it's a thumbs up to that one. Uh, what they are, the interface is incredibly minimal, isn't it? When you think of Camtasia and mm. Final Cut, the interface in ScreenFlow is incredibly minimal to the point that things you want to do, just toggle something on and off quickly, you'd have to know the shortcut or you'd be going up to the menu and disrupting your workflow. So the three little buttons that they've put at the bottom enable you to toggle settings on and off. Um, one is the waveform, so you can see the waveform on or off. One is to turn snapping on and off. And the other one is to turn the, the thumbnail display of the clips on and off. So I think that is an improvement. So I'll give them a thumbs up on that one. Right. New video property, corner mat. Probably not. No, me neither. Export progress over dock icon. So now there's a little bar on the dock icon. That could be handy if you've got it minimised. And you can see your dock, which I can't, mm. so I don't care. So no, thumbs down from me. Is it a thumbs up from you? Yeah. Ooh. No, it's an even Stevens, though. Oh, that's cheating. Right. Uh, next one. Grab and pan. That sounds like a game that they'll demo at next week's keynote. No, don't talk about games. No, you'll upset me. Now, grab and pan means that you can actually grab the canvas and pan it. I think that's good. Yeah. It's more like um, how graphics applications work. So instead of zooming in and out like a yo-yo, you can now just grab and pan across. Before, if you tried that, you'd actually move the contents of the canvas. Yeah. The other problem was, of course, that the canvas is already bobbing about because it zooms in and out um, with a magic mouse if you put your thumb, you know, your finger on the top of it. So grab and pan, I'm liking that one. That is potentially useful. Right, the ability to set the default preferred curve type. Whatever that is. No, I thought not. You're confused, aren't you? Yeah, no, I don't use that either. No, thumbs down for that one. Right, easier resizing in the canvas. Yeah. No, that's the one I talked yeah. about. It's got presets. The only problem with the presets that it's got, you can't add your own. 
So most of them are 16.9, I think. And, you know, if you wanted one that was just, for example, 16.10 at 12.80 by 800, you can't. You've got to set it to 12.80 by 7.20 and then overwrite the, the 7.20 byte with 800. Not good. It would be fantastic if I could add my own. So I, I give them only four out of five for that one. The next one, I, I laughed like a hyena. Loop recording. Whatever that is. Well, I wondered that, so I read up about it. Right. What it means is it starts recording. So you say record for an hour, and it does. And at the end of the hour, it wipes that and starts recording another hour. Or four. Mm, my thoughts exactly. Not sure. So uh, the thumbs down for that one. Not doing too well, actually, are they? Right. Um, ProRes 422 output. Yeah. I thought it already did that. Yeah, I do. well, I use that. Yeah, so do I. So I'm sure it did it. Publishing to the Telestream cloud publishing service. No, because I publish locally and then stick it on YouTube or wherever. Well, I thought it meant, and um, I think the term publish was what got me, that you put your video up there. And indeed, you can if you choose to. But also, it's an encoding cloud. So you can actually upload um, a native ScreenFlow file and choose to encode it in the cloud to formats that aren't supported locally which might be good for businesses or if you need a really weird codec yeah but because you're going to pay per video oh it sounded like a subscription service and you mustn't i mustn't get excited about that um i'm not seeing that i'd use it you've also got to think about the bandwidth of uploading huge files haven't you mm. i mean some of my files are absolutely enormous you said the other day that you'd recorded something for about eight hours and you had yeah. a file and it was 40 gig yeah mm. some of my files today i processed my last file of this week's work and there were there was a full quality output that i then crunched down and there was the original file and altogether there was 298 gig for just one video that i had recorded that's a lot. So I'm used to handling very big files. I'm not uploading them for them to encode them on their servers. Not happening. Thumbs down for that one, I'm afraid. And finally, there's a new icon. So what? Mm, you're thrilled, aren't you? I'll have you know that that caused the biggest stink on social media. There's a new icon. It's a flat icon. No, I think the biggest stink on social media was Sketch. Yes, I know. I'm talking about the biggest stink in relation to the update to ScreenFlow. Oh. Right. Well, if you change the icon, it's flat. I don't like it. God. No, I ignore it as well. I don't see the icon. I don't care. Um, so it, it, I'm ambivalent about the icon. What do you mean you don't care? You're 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 the one that goes on about icons. I must admit that's actually slightly you, true. You inst <laughs> you installed that zip utility because it had a nice icon. Oh damn it! He's remembered. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> well, I don't find the icon offensive. Let's leave it there. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, I'm the one who changes the icon in Sublime Text. That's what you mean. And my zip icons. Yeah. Right. Hmm. Anyway, so with all those features, what's still missing? There can't surely be anything missing. Oh, yes, there can. Oh, yes, there can. Where is the option for the library? I want to save things to a library. Things like watermarks. Things like annotations. So if you imagine that you're doing a video and you're talking about cut, copy and paste, I want to have the shortcuts for cut, copy and paste available in a library. At the moment, the only option I've got is to recreate them every single time. I have created a workaround, but that's not the point. I think the application should have it. Camtasia has got it on Windows. 
Camtasia 1 for Mac used to have it. They took it away for version 2. I don't like updates that take stuff away. Now, for ScreenFlow, it's never been there. But please, can we have one? Wouldn't it make your life easier? It would. Oh, that would be so fantastic. Every time there's an update, I hope, and every time I'm disappointed. In relation to reuse of things, templates. Please, proper templates. Because every time I've got a recording, there's no way to set the defaults of the view of the media bin on the right. So every time I've got a new recording, I have to go in and change three settings. There's just no way to make them a default. Hate that. Hate it. There's also that you would have things on the timeline. So one of my YouTube videos would have the intro. It would have the watermark. It would have the recap at the end. I have to make a file and then remember to duplicate it before I edit it. Is that primitive or what? In the meanwhile, of course, they're adding. Let's go back and have a look. Some of the silly things. Um, hmm. Redesigned waveforms. Can we have templates, please? Motion curves. Can we have templates, please? New icons. Can we have templates, please? I think you've made the point. Ah, good. It's also, I find it quite weird that there's no housekeeping elements included. Don't you find that weird? Yeah. What I mean by housekeeping is when you're recording your screen, you know, best practice, you don't want people looking at your desktop icons. You know, the picture of Aunt Maud you've got. Um, it drives me mad when I'm looking at videos that there's all sorts on the menu, particularly the date and time. And you can see that they've edited the video because the time's jumping about like crazy. So cleaning the menu, uh, notifications coming up, the screensaver being active if they're just talking over the top of something um, and also ke just keeping the Mac awake in general. There are applications that you can do all of that with. I mean, you've got Bartender, you've got uh, Desktop Curtain, you can suspend the notifications, you can use Caffeine to turn your screensaver off. But it's all fragmented. They're all in different places. So I have a checklist that I go through and I make sure that I've done all of those things before I start recording. There are some applications, the alternatives to ScreenFlow, that have those options built in. And it's just easier that they're there. You tend not to forget because they're in a list in front of you and you just check what you want. Um, another thing I would love to see is the freeze region option from Camtasia. Don't you love that? I do. Freeze region is only available in Camtasia for Mac. And what it does is imagine that you're recording your screen and all of a sudden you get a dialog box appear or a notification. It's actually happened to me. I know I should turn the notifications off. We're back to that again. But, you know, a notification pops up. It's on a part of the screen that I'm not actually concerned about in the demo. Nothing's moving on that section. So I can just carry on and do the demo and the notification will disappear. But obviously it will be in the final recording. Well, Freeze Region allows you to select the frame before the notification appeared and freeze it until after it's disappeared. And it's as if it wasn't there. You can do it manually. And I must admit, I have done it manually on several occasions. All the occasions I've forgotten to turn the options off. But it is manual. And in Camtasia, it's a doddle. You just drag it onto the timeline and you're done. So I would love to see that. Another thing is they added batch export in version five, which was grand, but they don't allow you to batch export multiple clips from a single file. So if you've done your recording in a single file, you'd have to duplicate that file, which 
not good because you've got a huge recording. You've got a longer recording. And to be honest, you don't want to be start, stop, start, stop, start, stop when you're recording. So I would love to see batch export of multiple clips from a single file. And they've also made some rather ch odd changes. Um, you know, in any application when you've drawn something, so Keynote and you've drawn a rectangle or Affinity mm. Photo and you've drawn a rectangle. If you want that to be a square or you want the oval to be a circle, you hold the shift key down, don't you? Yes. Yeah, that's what you used to do in ScreenFlow and they flipped it. So now the default is it scales proportionally unless you hold the shift key down. That's causing great confusion in my poor brain. There's a disconnect between my brain and my finger, I'm afraid. That is an option. You can toggle it in the options if you really want to. I'm trying to get used to it, but I'll have to see how that goes. Really, it's just a matter of a consistent Mac experience. Um, the other thing that is never consistent between versions is the ever-changing shortcuts to access the panels on the right. With every new version, they change them. The first one is video, isn't it? And that's command and one. I think the second is, I'm not sure what the second is because I never use it, but there's the second, that's command and two. The third is audio, that's command and three, and so forth, right through to what used to be command and seven, which was the bin. Um, in the last version, they added one, so everything got bumped up. So the, the last one, the bin, was then command and eight, and now they've added another one, so the bin is command and nine driving me mad. So I'm constantly on, on the wrong the wrong panel. Now we're up to nine, though. Do you think they'll leave it alone? Who knows? I, I can hope, can't I? Um, there are alternatives that are a little bit cheaper. Um, there's ScreenFlick, Screenium, Camtasia. I use all of those on a regular basis. There's I Show You. There's a new one called Capto from... Ooh, what's their name? Global Delight. Is it Global Delight? I have no idea. Oh, you know the one I mean. They used It used to be called something different which will come to me after a suitable pause. Oh, voila. Oh, yes. You do remember. I didn't know it was called Capto. Well, they've not renamed it. It's a new app. Oh. So Capto's a completely new app. It's twenty five ninety nine in the App Store. Not tried it myself. Gets good reviews, but you never know who they're from. Um, so that's a new one from Global Delight. Uh, what else was there? There was uh, there's QuickTime, if you're desperate. And if you're even more desperate in an emergency... You came up with this one, PowerPoint. Oh, yeah. But I think that's Windows only. You can actually record your screen straight into PowerPoint, can't you? I think you're right. Shall I try it? Hmm. You try it while I discuss pricing. Right. Uh, a new license is going to set you back $99. Upgrades are available if you bought direct for $34.99. If you didn't buy direct and you have missed the window for a cheap upgrade in the App Store, which I think was probably Blink and you'll miss it, um, then you can, if you've already got version 5 or further back from the App Store, transfer your license to a direct license. Now, do you want to buy from the App Store? Do you want to buy direct? Ah, the usual, the usual decision you have to make. Well, there's upgrade pricing available direct. There isn't in the App Store if you miss that window. Direct, if you bought within, I think it's the last month, you can get a completely free upgrade from five to six. Then you need to think about the speed of updates. If you're not worried about updating first, you know, you're, you're prepared to wait, then Mac App Store. 
Uh, but if you like the fast updates because of the bug fixes, then you'll get those much faster if you go for direct. There is actually only one difference that I've noticed, which is the save dialogue. The save dialogue from the Mac App Store version is slightly different than the one on the direct one. But I mean, nothing critical, nothing critical. So it is one of the more expensive ones, but it is virtually a pro level app. So hence the price. So how are you doing? No, it doesn't look like you can. No, I didn't think so. They're no. not likely to add that. I mean, they've not got the basics like embedding fonts. So mm. um, recording the screen, not happening. But if you're on Windows and you haven't got anything and it's an emergency, then feel free. So did I upgrade? Oh, absolutely. Yes, I bought it direct and I bought it from the App Store as well. That way I don't have to worry about licenses because it is activated. So um, I've had a situation with it way back when. I think it was version two. Uh, the activation just was not happening which meant that I couldn't export anything. So I do buy it both ways because I, I live in it all day, every day. So I'd say it probably is worth updating if you like the new feature set. Do you know what they didn't add? No. That's petty, but I'd like it. In the last version, they added the ability to colour code clips on the timeline. Do you remember? Yeah. In one of four colours. Lurid green, lurid pink. You get the idea. Lurid orange. Mm. The colours were grotesque. But there's only four of them. And they've not increased that. Can I have some more colours? That's not tantamount to complaining about the icon. It's practical that I want to colour code things on the timeline. But yes, I, I think it's probably worth the update. Because you know what will happen? Apple will bring out a new operating system and it'll balk it. Mm. So uh, you've always got to update anyway. So continuing our series on creating your personal cloud. And last time we looked at Box, and this time, probably the best known of all, Dropbox. Yes, I've used it since 2008. I checked to see when it was released and uh, when I created my account. It's one of the first apps I install on a new Mac. I've got so much configuration information in there. A Mac just doesn't feel like mine until I all hook it up. So first thing I looked at was what plans you've got available. And it was probably the first time I visited the website while I've been logged out in ages. It was incredibly difficult to find the pricing options. I remember the website being much more friendly than it is now. Um, you seem to have two types of options. You've got individuals and teams. And within that, there's two options for each one. So the individual accounts, there's the basic account, which is free. I'm still actually on that. You on the same? I'm on the same, yeah. Um, I did earn extra points by referring people way back in the day. Um, so I think I've got about 16, 16 and a half gigs, something like that. The only other option um, for individuals is a pro account, which is 7.99, and that's pounds per month, for one terabyte of storage. I'm sure there used to be a much more logical option for about 50 gig and 100 or 200 gig. Remember that? probably that? did. Probably did. Yeah, it's gone. And I think seven ninety nine for one terabyte, yeah, maybe not bad-ish. But when I think that's what I pay for Office 365 and I get the storage and everything else, it starts to look expensive. Um, the Pro version, which is the seven ninety nine one, the only extra features that I thought were nice to haves maybe a little bit more than nice to haves you can create password protected links you can create expiring shared links and the one i particularly like the look of was the remote device wipe 
The other options were then for teams. Uh, there was business and enterprise. And the business one's £11 per user per month. But you do get what they're calling unlimited storage. Mind you, unlimited never means unlimited, really, does it? And the enterprise one was contact them for pricing. So uh, dread to think how much that is. That'll be for corporates the size you are at work. Yeah. But you don't want to add Dropbox to the mix of stuff you deal with, do you? No. No. Um, it is, as I say, very difficult to find the pricing comparisons. I copied and pasted the link between browsers and it took you to a totally different location. It's as though it's got auto redirector going on. Um, no idea what's happening there. But they, I felt they were very much pushing you towards the Teams option and asking you, you know, do you want to use this in business? Even the free option was well hidden. You know, you can create an account and it is free, but it doesn't actually put it in your face. You know, this is free. So what do I use it for? Well, more than just a location for data files. You can share documents, um, read only, which I use for notes from training sessions or a conference when I'm sharing them with people. It's better than sending a copy because you can continue to update it to add to the content and anybody viewing it is always viewing the latest version. Then there's collaborative working. Now, we actually use it during live sessions, don't we? We do. And I think that works pretty well. I wouldn't say it's up to the level that, oh, wave. Do you remember wave? Oh, just let me reminisce. Wave. You know where it was instant and, and you could see who was typing and everything? Mm. It's fabulous. Yeah, it's not like that. Um, there's always a little bit of time, isn't there? And if two people are editing at once, it does tend to get upset and throw its toys about. I'd say it's more of a repository for content created by multiple people rather than actually working on the same content at the same time. But it's integrated with Office now. It shows up as a source of documents, but with OneDrive, I'm not going to use it for that. My main use is to synchronise settings, and I'm pretty serious about that. I've got a whole workflow going on. I create an application support folder in the root of Dropbox, and then I've got dedicated folders for each application. And I had a look at them. Most of them I still use, but I've noticed that some apps that I did use that I no longer use, I left the configuration settings in there in case I want to go back to using them. So even if you're not using an app anymore, I would tend to use it for that. The big ones for me are where it's an app that's on multiple Macs and I want to keep the settings in sync. So there was one password, which I've got their subscription based service thing now, but it's still there. Alfred, which synchronizes my workflows. There was Better Touch tool, which allows me to share the configurations in that. I also found a folder called Browsing. <laughs> this is great. I'd forgotten it was there. So I thought, well, what's what's in that? And what I'd done was I'd made a HTML page with all my links on in case of emergencies. You know, like WordPress logins that you yeah. couldn't possibly remember. Yeah. Well, not only did I not remember the WordPress logins, I'd forgotten I'd created the folder, but we'll, we'll gloss over that. Um, then there's Caffeine. I've got my Clarify settings in there. I've got some databases for apps like Codebox um, and my Contour Shuttle Pro. I've still got those scripts for fireworks, you know, you know, the 4,000 mm. word thing, the yeah. line thing. I've got my Google read, uh, reader feeds. I extracted them and put them in there. So I've got a list of all the stuff I was subscribed to. I've got folders for Hazel, uh, Keyboard Maestro, Mars Edit, Name Mangler. I uh, synchronised the um, presets with that. I've got OmniFocus in there. Post Haste, uh, an app called Quiver that I don't think I've talked about. 
My screen flow settings are in there. You nearly lost yours, didn't you? You nearly had a heart attack tonight. Yes. Mm. Opened up the new version of ScreenFlow. Started crying. Almost. Lost your settings, didn't you? Yes. And wh- how sympathetic was I? Very. Not totally. I told you to write them down. Uh, I've got mind. them somewhere. They're in one yeah, note. Yeah, somewhere being the... yeah. No, they're, they're in somewhere. one note. Carry on. Carry on. Yeah, my sublime text settings, uh, typeinator, and I've also put in, you know, when you've got wallpapers that you've got to use for certain clients, yeah. I've put those in there as well. Um, collaboration just seems to be the holy grail of all online services at the moment. And Dropbox have added commenting, which is a chat that's attached to an item in Dropbox. I just felt it was all a bit too much scope for fragmented communications because you've got Evernote, WorkChat, Slack, Trello, Podio, uh, Basecamp, Yammer, Chatter, SharePoint. I'm not seeing the benefit of that at all, I'm afraid. Yeah, but the whole idea is that you comment about a file. It's not general comments. It's it's comments. We use it at work in Box. Box has got the same feature. So it means that you can discuss about the file. And it, it does work, you know, as I say, we use it at work and it works. I think because it has to. I mean, think of a scenario. Person A requests that person B makes a change to a document and the document's in Dropbox. So they do it via the commenting. How does person B know that there is a comment on the document? Because they get an email about it. Oh, dear. So then you've got the email thing going backwards and forwards. And if person B goes under a bus, then no one's going to know to deal with it because person B is under a bus. I think they'd have more to worry about if person B went under a bus. But... Yes, but person A wouldn't be too happy because they want the change making. Anyway, is that what you would choose to use? Probably not. No. So it's there, but um, yeah, maybe not. There's a sync client for the desktop and you can selectively sync, which is probably important for many, but I can't be doing with it. Um, I don't want to have to remember what I'm syncing and what I'm not. So I keep it really simple. However... Big announcement. I might be about to change all that, but more on that later. Do you selectively sync? Um, not with Dropbox. I hardly use Dropbox anymore, actually, because I've only got, I thought I had two gig of space. I've actually got about six. But you know, when you compare that to to Box, where I've got a hundred gig over two fifty gig accounts and one drive with one terabyte, I only use Box for um Box Dropbox for. Don't confuse your boxes. No. Um, somebody actually at work, because we use Box, somebody said to me, is it the same as Dropbox? And then I had to explain, no, it's not. And we're not allowed to use Dropbox. So please don't put stuff in Dropbox. Um, <laughs> they just have very similar names. <laughs> um, yes. What was I saying? Yeah, I I, I use uh, Dropbox really just for synchronizing settings like um one password and where people want to share documents with me that they are sticking in Dropbox and that's their choice. I've actually got um, more data in cloud storage than I, than I want to have locally. That's the way I work. Yeah. I, I'm like that with other services, but not Dropbox. I do tend to sync everything with Dropbox. Um, on iOS, the support for Dropbox is so good from each app that I actually rarely use the iOS app. Do you use it? Uh, well, seeing as I rarely use Dropbox, no. <laughs> the Yeah, moot point. Um, one thing I do use it for is listening to the show. If you stick the sort of 
the 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 unedited version into to Dropbox. I can then oh the director's cut with all the mistakes in it. That one. Yes, I mm. I can then listen to it because obviously I can't stick it in. Um, what's it called? Downcast because it hasn't been given all the tags and stuff at that point. So it's the rough cut. The rough cut. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, I don't use the actual Dropbox client, but I do use Goodreader, PDF Expert and Liquid Text. And each of those apps I configure to access Dropbox directly. Goodreader and PDF Expert will sync back if required. To be honest, Goodreader is by far the best for file management. But I'm finding that PDF Expert has just got the best annotation and markup. It's fabulous and it works brilliantly with the Apple Pencil. Um, I, I'm sure I talked about that at some point a while back. Let's gloss over the gap. Never notice. Never notice the gap. Um, and I was saying that some apps you've got to toggle in and out of annotating and editing. And it was just annoying. Um, what they've done in PDF Expert, it, it's fabulous. So the support for the pencil is perfect. But I'm still sort of downloading in Goodreader and then transferring it across to PDF Expert. Um, but one job that does work brilliantly with Dropbox is sharing the MacBytes folder with contributors. I'll just drop that in. Hint, hint. Let me know if you want to send us something. I'll add you to the shared folder. Um, there's also alternative ways to access it from the desktop because it's so ubiquitous. Almost every app that accesses data supports it. I've picked a specific scenario where the sync client doesn't work brilliantly which is you can only have content in a single Dropbox at system level. So when you've installed a sync client, you can add one account to it, but that's it. So my way around that, and I've mentioned it before, is Expand Drive. Now, I do have a love-hate relationship with Expand Drive. Um, but the latest version, fingers crossed, and yes, I'm touching wood, does seem to be fairly stable. Um, and I've mounted different cloud services as local drives. But most importantly, I can mount multiple accounts from each service. So I've got clients that have OneDrive accounts and I need access to them in their entirety. It's not just a matter of the user sharing a folder with me because new folders would need to be configured each time they create one. It's actually just easier to have access to everything. But if I tried to use the client for that, the Dropbox client, then I would have problems with it and can only access one at a time. Um, so that's like what I use Expand Drive for. Panix Transmit has a similar concept and they put up um, a poll that they wanted you to complete. One of these survey things a while back, teasing an update. Um, it was a quite a while back, so it might be an option that they're thinking about in the future for either making a standalone app or adding to the feature within Transmit. So I'll certainly keep an eye on that. But the most exciting update for Dropbox got to be the proxy icon system. Now, Dropbox announced it in April. They're calling it Project Infinite. Needless to say, we're still waiting for it. It's different from Selective Sync. Instead of you selecting what you want to access locally, you see everything, all your remote content, but it isn't downloaded until you want it to be, thus saving disk space. You can choose to have specific files always available locally, which does make it sound like Selective Sync. But the difference is with Selective Sync, once you've said, I want you to make 
folder one available. You then have no access to other folders and files without reconfiguring the selective sync. With this Project Infinite, you will be able to see everything, but choose what takes up space locally. Now, OneDrive used to work that way on Windows 8. It was so good, and I had so much OneDrive space, I almost bought a Windows machine to work with my OneDrive files. As I was checking specs and prices, they binned it. So I can't wait for this to be available. It was ridiculous that Microsoft got rid of it. Uh, the reason given was, wait for it, it confused people. I'll just let that lie for a moment. To be honest, if they're that easily confused, I'd respectfully suggest they not use a computer. It's as stupid as saying the steering wheel of a car confuses people, so we'll take it away. Uh, given what happened a couple of miles from here last week, that actually might not be a bad idea. <laughs> you should probably explain that. Yeah, I did tweet it, uh, so you might have seen it. But um, uh, the other day it was, um, somebody was driving the wrong way down the motorway, which that's not the first time it's happened, but... No, it happened to you on a roundabout in Jesus. Yes. No, no, it didn't happen to me. I wasn't driving the wrong way down the motorway. No, I wasn't implying that you were. There was a woman coming at your head on the wrong way around the roundabout. Oh, yes. Yeah, well, this was... Yeah, that's right, around the roundabout, not in the motorway. But this was somebody who was driving the wrong way for about five miles um, in the fast lane. He hit two cars, and it all happened uh, near us, actually. It it happened... I think it happened... The, the accident happened right at the Carrington Junction, which is very, very close to us. Well, it's our junction, isn't it? It is. Good job you weren't trying to use it that night. Mm. And to prove my point, I doubt he'll ever be allowed to drive again. Uh, yeah, I'm just glad you weren't there after last time. That wasn't my fault. I was sitting in your car minding my own business when this idiot reversed into it. And as if that wasn't bad enough, he then attempted to drive off. Which was when you threw yourself onto the bonnet. I was completely incensed. Anyway, he didn't get away, did he? No. But moving on, before you melt down, iPad, 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 iPad. Do we have time for a little iPad news? We always have time to drool over new kid. Strangest new arrival I've ever seen. I know. We didn't pre-order the new baby iPad Pro. Nor did we queue. We were just having a few days off. And just popped in. Well, after a 9am dental appointment, yes, another one. And I didn't get, and I've been brave, at the dentist sticker. So you thought you'd get a new iPad instead? Pretty much, yes. And it just wasn't like 2011 at Liverpool one. You remember the seven-hour wait and all the fuss? Yes. You could just walk in and buy any model you wanted. It was all very strange. And the spending didn't stop there, did it? It was a bargain! I wasn't paying Apple prices for a case, that's for sure. And I got a fabulous alternative on Amazon for £5, £6, something like that. I've looked it up. The case is currently £5.50. It's um, a Coogee iPad Pro 9.7 case. Now, I took a risk as day one iPad cases that claim to perfectly fit new tech usually don't. Amazingly, this one did, including the slight differences to the camera flash and the speakers. Um, I got black for my white iPad, but they are available in a range of colours. There's black, white, pale blue, lime green and red. 
It's two pounds more for anything other than black. So uh, that would be seven pounds fifty. But excitingly, there's now a version with a Bluetooth keyboard. Now you might say, well, why is that exciting? Because it's 15 to 20 pounds. Ooh, and it looks really handy. Um, I'm not usually a fan of keyboards in, inside cases. It adds too much bulk. But I might make an exception for this one. The keyboard, you know those keyboards that, that they're kind of stuck and they're stuck in the wrong place, aren't they? Mm. They're never comfortable to type on. So what I tend to do is use a, a completely separate keyboard. But this keyboard in this case is detachable. So way more flexible than the Apple case. And no unsightly Velcro or straps. It's held on with magnets. I'm seriously tempted to get one to try it, you know. In other words, a full review next week. He said it. He said next week. Now look what you've done. Anyway, moving on to events. We have an event next week, don't we? The uh, WWDC 2016 keynote, which is on the 13th of June next week. Another legendary MacBytes Live for you. We chat. We complain about videos of store openings. We moan about games demos. We laugh at eco-friendly claims while OS updates kill support for perfectly usable peripherals. Last time we entertained Paul on his commute home from London. Poor Paul. Paul has a five-hour daily commute. He was on a bus, a train and three tubes. Brave, brave man. So we all followed along as he travelled home via Basingstoke, Woking, Clapham and Waterloo. And yes, mention of that did result in you giving us a chorus of Abba's Waterloo. Shall I do it again? Please don't. Please don't. Please don't. We passed around virtual cream eggs too. <gasps> virtual cream eggs are excellent. They are completely calorie free. We were also introduced to something called Mornington Crescent by Dan A. I admitted I'd never heard of it myself. Opened myself up to an accusation of living under a rock. Cheeky lot. We are clearly media challenged here at MacBytes headquarters. Nor, it seems. Do you have a radio? Have I missed anything? Uh, the rant you went on about kit shaming. <gasps> Don't remind me. Who at Apple thought it was a good idea to laugh at folk with a five-year-old PC? As we have discussed, people have different priorities, each to their own. Live and let live. Not build your selling strategy on the back of shaming folk who would no more buy an Apple computer than fly. Makes you look petty, bordering on desperate, really. Stop her before she implodes with self-righteous indignation. Anyway, as uh, we were saying, there's a MacBytes Live on Monday the 13th of June. Be there! It wouldn't be the same without you. It wouldn't. Now, in our last show, we said we'd love a review for our Christmas present. Don't remind them that there was snow on the roof the last time we ventured into the studio. The last time I managed to get you in the studio, you didn't have a roof. That is actually true, you know. It is. As I was saying, we'd love a review for Christmas and you didn't let us down. The day after the show, we had two. The first one is titled One of My Best and it was given five stars. And he said, podcasting isn't easy at a time when everyone is podcasting. Everyone has an app and everyone is a screencaster. But these two shine. If my five star review encourages them to continue, let them podcast on and they deserve to be featured in the App Store. So a huge thank you to Little Grant for that five star review. And then there was another titled A Rare Kind of Mac Podcast five stars. 
rare in that it's British, humorous and wittily entertaining. Combine that with excellent tech-related information, ongoing tales of the life and times at MacBytes headquarters, and you have one of the best Mac-based podcasts out there. It's different, it's quirky and it's compelling listening. But one thing it's not, and that is regular. It was all right up to that point, you know. With sometimes long breaks between episodes, can't imagine what they're referring to, followed by a flourish of MacBytes chatter. Here with flourish of MacBytes chatter. It keeps the listener guessing as to when they will next hear the rarely spotted MacBytes crew. Always worth the wait and brilliant. Again, huge thank to Griff410 for that five-star review. And if you're feeling generous, you could head over to the iTunes store and leave us a review. We will be sure to read it out. Well, that's it for this episode of MacBytes. As always, we'd love to hear from you. So please send us your questions, comments and queries by email to macbytesuk at gmail.com. You can use the contact form on the website or send us an audio file. You can also leave us a comment on the show notes at macbytes.co.uk. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash macbytes. Follow me at twitter.com slash thomasmike. You can follow me at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash macbytesiri. So until the next time, this has been Mike and Elaine bringing you Macbytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. So the extension at Macbytes headquarters is finally finished then? Thankfully, yes. What's this color called again? She said it's called Dusky Peach. Dusky Peach? That's what she told me. It looks suspiciously like pink to me. You're right, there's more than a hint of pink in it. But I wouldn't mention pink if I were you. Hang on a minute. Dusky Peach, my illuminated backside. It's plaster. Bare. Plaster. It's what? What? The? Actual? You've been had. There will be payback for this. I can feel my inclination to connect to iCloud waning as I speak. No change there then.